Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Good morning. <laughs> and welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast this early in the morning. <laughs> I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. I do think about that sometimes because we tend to record like toward the end of work days. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, just based on the download stats, I think most people listen in the morning. Yeah. That's the sense I get. We should really meet the FODs on their level a little more often. We're always like drinking, <laughs> really like letting shit fly. And, and it's probably not the, the mood anybody's in. <laughs> I think this is Star Trek comedy podcasting on hard mode. Can you be funny at nine in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> my wife said the sweetest thing to me on my way to the studio. <laughs> Something she almost never does is uh, is encourage me in this endeavor. <laughs> I made some flip comment about like, I'm going to go try to be funny at nine in the morning. And she's like, you're going to do great. Aww. You're going to be very funny. And I, and I just melted. I was Aww. like... Really needed to hear that. She knows that if she's like pretty judicious with comments like that, they'll really have meaning when she gives them out. Oh yeah, <laughs> and the and the three times that's happened have been especially meaningful over the course of the years. Uh. <laughs> Peek behind the pod. Nine a.m. might be the earliest show we've ever recorded. It might. Yeah. I don't think we've ever done 8 a.m. No, no. I mean, I don't usually fly before 10 a.m., and I would say recording a podcast feels as momentous as getting on an airplane. Because you want to be funny in both instances, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want the bits to be hidden <laughs> when I'm going through TSA and whatnot. That's one of your best longstanding rules of any kind. Like, we've talked about the greatest gen rules, but the Benjamin R. Harrison rule about no flights before 10. Yeah. Beautiful. No brown eyes. Yeah. I developed that because I was when I was working at Engadget, I flew tons. Like, I think I was probably on the road. You flew Tonza? <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty bad 9 a.m. joke right there. <laughs> hey, we're going to let it slide. We're going to let a lot slide today. <laughs> no, but I was like, we would be on the road two weeks out of the month, you know, and often, you know, I'd be like inbound for JFK and we'd find out we needed to do something. And I'd be like frantically loading the in-flight Wi-Fi in the last 10 minutes. It's going to be available so that I can book a flight back out to like San Diego the next morning. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, it was really crazy how often that happened and it started to just make me you know, I, I was starting to lose my mind. And so I was like, okay, like I have to institute a couple of policies about <laughs> making sleep be allowed within the the constraints of, of this work. Because it was, God, it was such a fun job. I got to do so many cool things. I got to go, I literally touched the Large Hadron Collider with the tip of my finger. And I got to see, you know, like space technology being built i got to go into labs where they're building drones that uh you know 
fly semi-autonomously. Uh, it was so it was it was a really fun job, but it was it was also destroying my life. <laughs> what a career we used to have! I know, I know. I get to be <laughs> a, a fly on the wall in some really cool places, and now that was the best part. Yeah, you know, the like special access thing was really cool, and I think that um, it's been kind of humbling. Like, I guess we do get that a little bit with like Greatest Trek. We get we get screeners early, so. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen a lot more of Star Trek Strange New Worlds than most people, and that's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. But, like, when we go to, like, the Star Trek convention, they actively don't really want us to be there. I get the sense, you know? Like, we don't get to go backstage. We don't get to, you know, (laughs) do anything. Everything fun that we do at the Star Trek convention, like the Pranica Cabanica, we pay for that, (laughs) you know? Star Trek Las Vegas this week. When this episode drops. Awesome. What fun timing. And uh, I mean, I I sent the email to the convention going like, hey, big time Star Trek podcasters mm-hmm. would like media credentials. <laughs> they, they never do it. Expecting this year, like every other year, to yeah. be denied. We watched a, uh, I, I shared a TikTok video with you that's like, a local Vegas resident who kind of goes around and like reviews all the like famous Vegas hotels. And she was saying that the Rio is currently the worst hotel in Vegas. And yeah. And their rates are like $8 during the week and they are hundreds of dollars during the convention as if Star Trek fans need any more proof that creation doesn't care about you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is the least amount of money they could spend on a convention. (laughs) And the least comfortable place to do it for anyone. Yeah. I mean, my room, I didn't even go last year, but two years ago, my room was pretty rugged when I checked in originally. I had to move rooms because the first one they put me in had maybe blood stains in it. There may be blood is... uh... (laughs) I think that's the actual tagline of the Rio. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The thing that I thought was the most remarkable about that video, that TikTok I mentioned, is that she she just tosses off a casual mention of a a well-established feral cat colony that apparently inhabits the grounds of the Rio. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. It doesn't surprise me either. I encountered feral people. At the Rio, <laughs> last time I was there. Some real wild child vibes. Well, anyways, come party with us there, either way. <laughs> a very scary version of a Truffaut film <laughs> is what happens at the Rio. Uh, keep your eyes on the at Greatest Trek social media accounts for information about the, uh, the Pranica Cabanica if you're going to be in Vegas. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to seeing you there and uh, eating all the fries and drinking all the pina coladas together. Oh, oh man. It's going to be great. It's going to be so good. Yeah. If the uh, Purple Zebra hoof drink station is not open, I'm going to be really disappointed, but I'm kind of expecting it not to be open. It is, at last check, only open two nights of the week for just a couple (laughs) hours each. That's the crush depth of any slushy stand really like that's as low as it gets like how can you in august in las vegas 
see fit to only open a frozen beverage stand for like eight total hours. That thing is like the only draw of the Rio at this point. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. Hey, check in with us on an upcoming episode where we'll uh, give you our summary of how Star Trek Las Vegas went yeah. in 2023. We'll see if we can weather that storm, much like Starship Voyager weathers a storm in today's episode of Voyager. Yeah, kind of a wild concept in this one. It's Star Trek Voyager Season 6, Episode 11. <laughs> Fairhaven. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> and our cold open occurs in Fairhaven. It does. It looks to me like it's post-Bronze Age. Yeah. Which is good. This is... Uh... I think the same fake European town that they used in the World War II holodeck yeah. simulation, but repainted to look like Ireland. Is that? I did want to keep my eyes peeled for fascists. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fighting fascists is a full-time job, man. This restaurant will serve as our command post. Gotta keep your head on a swivel these days. Yeah. No Vichys or, or Nazis visible here. It's just... Uh, it's you know, just Seamus. Just Seamus, Maggie O'Halloran getting macked on by Harry Kim. You remember that episode where Harry Kim wakes up in an alternate dimension and there's Cosmo the coffee man? <laughs> oh, yeah. I really got that vibe from Seamus, and I think unintentionally this episode sets up a discomfort with things right off the bat, just given the stories that Voyager has told previously about places like this. Right. We also saw a, an apartment that looked very similar to Harry Kim's San Francisco apartment in the previous episode. So it's it's like priming right. us to be thinking about these situations in that way. Right. Seamus is a very talkative NPC <laughs> about things going bad at home with his wife. Yeah. And Paris is just like furiously mashing the X button mentally to like <laughs> speed past all of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's not working. No, it's not working. Um, James played by the great Richard Real, fave that guy of mine. He's got to be on Mount That Guy, right? He really is, yeah. I feel like he and Brian Doyle Murray kind of get switched up in my mind sometimes. Like, I feel like they often play similar parts. They have similar... Yeah. They probably see each other in castings all the time, right? There's probably the same amount of gravel in each other's throats, too. <laughs> <laughs> You can't possibly cast a movie or TV show with both of them. It's just too powerful. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of a force of that guy's. That's how you make a singularity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That guy's singularity must be prevented at all costs. <laughs> Tom kind of cock blocks Harry and uh, says, oh, man, you got to come check out the pub, man. The pub is where it's at. Yeah. Leave Maggie O'Halloran alone. I lasted 22 minutes. It becomes clear that Tom is the programmer. He is the auteur of Fairhaven. And he has specifically programmed it not to be, you know, a, a fantastical place. There's no flotter. There's no leprechauns. There's no arachnia, the spider queen. There's a sense of holodeck programmer vanity happening here with Tom Paris that is depicted throughout the episode, I think in a pretty useful way, like Paris made a great thing and he's sharing it with everyone. 
But everyone who participates in the thing is like, boy, I wish you did it like that. <laughs> it's like he's getting the comments at him. Right, right. It really made me feel for Tom Paris here. <laughs> Leave him alone. Fairhaven is perfect, just the way it is. You know, leave a five-star review if you like it, and if you don't, you know, that's cool too. He's one pipping around. His dad may or may not hate him. <laughs> he's trying to fuck alien shuttlecrafts. Like, uh, yeah, he's struggling. Life is not going well. Just, like, slap him on the back and say, you did good on the Fairhaven program, you know? Yeah. Yeah, be grateful for Fairhaven. Am I making any sense here? EMH shows up, has uh, taken on an identity of uh, a gram of the cloth. Did you see how he leaned his bike on the curb? Very, very far over. I feel like if you're behind the camera watching this and the direction is, all right, the doc rolls up on a bike and then leans it against the curb and you watch this happen, (laughs) I would be like... Sticking my fist in my mouth and and like biting down on it because the way he leans the bike on the curb is like pedal down. Yeah. It's the perfect lean. It's it's amazing. He could do this take 10 times and not get the bike to do this. It was crazy. <laughs> I didn't listen to any of the dialogue in this scene because I was staring at that bike waiting for it to fall over. Yeah, he did a great job. I mean, Robert Picardo's a pro. He really is. He's ridden a bike before. Yeah. He's got some work to do on an, a homily for Sunday Mass, which I, apparently is a part of this program, which seems like it really sucks. Like, Imagine like the draft of characters, because that had to have happened before this, right? You, you got to pick out who you're going to be in Fairhaven, and the doctor gets stuck with Priest. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. And he's like taking it out on all of them by making them listen to his sermons. Is that your your conjecture? (laughs) Yeah. That's the way God wants it. I don't know why, dude. So after the theme, we're in Sullivan's Pub, where Paris is taking bets on an arm wrestling match between Harry and a real beardo. Yeah. I love this like reverse goatee look that... uh a certain kind of like brawler in a show set in in Ireland has he's got the like the chops that end at the beard and then he's shaved off the chin part of the beard <laughs> yeah the thing most people only do like in a bathroom shaving environment to like audition the look but then finally shave yeah. the whole thing off it's like no 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 yeah <laughs> this is dumb <laughs> too silly i mean i'll take a picture and like right. show my friends later so we can laugh at it but can't walk out the house looking like this How about the drama of the Harry Kim arm wrestling match? It really looks like he's done for. Yeah. He's uh, whispering at Liam. Yeah. Your left is stronger. A lot of people get kind of browbeat into putting money on Harry Kim. So it's uh, it's lucky that he wins. Yeah. Do you think the safeties are on in the in the arm wrestling match? That's a piece of this that's really interesting is like, was Paris a good bro to Harry Kim? In programming the arm wrestler guy, uh-huh. like you're gonna make it so that Harry Kim wins, but make it exciting right. and interesting, and not like he would just dominate in an unrealistic way. This would have head off the whole Moriarty thing at the pass if they'd said make a holodeck villain that can't beat Data, but can really make Data worry that he might get beat. <laughs> you would be a great programmer. <laughs> The captain walks in, in uniform. She hasn't uh, cosplayed her way into this program, and she meets the publican, 
A real hunk. Yeah. Look at this guy. He's just there uh, wiping off the bar. Mm -hmm. Doing bartender stuff. Polishing the beer tap. <laughs> Suggestively. You have outdone yourself this time. Everything is authentic, except for one tiny detail. Oh? Criticizing the backwards harp. Yeah. Yeah, harp is, is backwards. This is a very subtle bit of trivia that really establishes Janeway's bona fides. Yeah. W slash R slash T being Irish. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What's the deal with it? Is it like uh, hanging the American flag upside down? <laughs> yeah. Because you don't like who got elected president? This bar needs rescue. <laughs> A correctly facing harp lets other Irish people know that you know which direction the harp should face. A reversed Irish harp means you're considering moving to Canada because you do not consider the political situation to be heading in your direction. <laughs> People don't want to be thinking about politics in an Irish bar. They just want to drink themselves to oblivion on harp lager and get us down. You're going to bum somebody out. Black and tans are too slow. Too slow to make them. You're backing up the line here. Pour it out, start again. I mean... You can feel at this moment in the episode that this guy's going to be important, but he's not interesting right now. Not at all. Right. So uninteresting is the scene that Janeway's like, all right, back to work. Yeah, I hear Harry whispering to an arm wrestler over there. <laughs> Go check that out. Yeah. Just hammer curl, just like that. That's really strong. And the story is there's a neutronic wavefront nearby, and... Uh, it merits some preparation because in the ass lab, Seven tells Paris, Janeway, and Chakotay about this wave. They've got 15 hours before it hits. Yeah. And it's not like they can just turn the ship into the wave like a Sulu in the big chair. Right. And, and warping away is out of the question also. I really wondered why the captain would personally come down to the holodeck to tell people about this. Like, it sounds like an emergency, but then you're like, yeah. oh, they have 15 hours. Like, I mean, it's like, it's not going to be great, but... They can do things to get ready. You don't often hear this kind of command, like, let's just stay put and ride it out. Yeah. Well, they can't do anything else because it's already affecting them. They're not able yeah. to jump to warp. Impulse won't get them away from it in time. So it's batten down the hatches and ride out the storm. And they're going to be buffeted by particles, so... Radiation inoculations for everyone. Right. But it doesn't seem like they're stressed about the radiation. No. No. I mean, medicine has techniques to, uh, to defend people against something like this, except for the precious few who choose to eat horse tranquilizer and <laughs> die on the mission. We don't get that sea story. Of course, it's locked in. Neelix finds Janeway in his restaurant way after hours. He's like, you can't be in here right now. Like, I'll get shut down by the health department. I don't like this look for Janeway. I don't like a person keeping a service industry person in their job mm. after closing. Yeah. Fuck out of here, Janeway. Don't do it. Don't do it. What do you make of this story she tells about being from a part of Earth that evidently doesn't have weather generators on it? 
She's oh, like, yeah. I grew up with very terrifying storms in <laughs> Indiana. Maybe they like let them happen, but they kind of like dial back on how lethal they are with the weather generators just for like kind of ambience. Oh, yeah. I like that. You know? I always enjoyed a good ion storm. Give me clear skies any day. You want some weather. Mm-hmm. Just not annoying weather. Or maybe she grew up in a time where Monty Markham was like the governor of Indiana <laughs> and was just kind of letting letting the weather generators sit idle to, you know, let the Federation citizenry know how soft they'd become. Uh, a very condescending Monty Markham. <laughs> for sure. Neelix is concerned about what the crew's going to be doing while they've dropped anchor and has proposed maybe... Something that I thought was what just naturally would happen with a holodeck program, but instead is kind of a unique property to the thing, an open-door policy to the Fairhaven program on the holodeck where uh, you can just walk in and walk out anytime, 24-7. And Janeway's like, oh, you mean like the mess hall? And then they cut back to Neelix and he's like... Got a pencil in his hand. (laughs) No, not like the mess hall, Captain. Yeah, nobody's talking about rebooting Talaxi and Tiki Bar. Nobody's talking about Sandrine's. Unclear whether or not anyone at Fairhaven knows how to give a Talaxian foot rub. No, yeah. I mean, Neelix is going to be modifying some of the characters himself later. Oh, yeah, Uh, yeah. So Janeway uh, goes back into the Fairhaven program and finds Sullivan, the uh, the owner of the of the town pub, and he's also doing some kind of after hours stuff. But he's got a tea service out waiting and uh, offers her a cuppa, and they sit and talk. She's like, "What do you have in the taps back there?" And he's like, four kinds of vegetable broth." <laughs> <laughs> Like, so much is made of Janeway reprogramming this character to, like, her exact specifications. I feel like uh, right off the production line, this guy comes pretty close to satisfying her needs. Right, yeah. He starts calling her Katie O'Claire because uh, her people are from County Clare. I guess that's just a role that she's going to gleefully inhabit. Uh, They play a pub game, which is uh, Ring Toss. Doesn't it start to feel a little minuettish when a holodeck character really wants you to stay and play with them? Really does. I got that vibe from this guy because she's like, after she chugs her tea and vegetable broth, she's like, all right, got to go to bed. And he's like, no. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) (laughs) That's more like Star Trek training there. You're thinking something is, is up here. He might be minuetting. Wait, please. Please don't go. You can't, not yet. There's a lot about this character that feels minuetish, for sure. How much of it has to do with his face, also? Yeah. Did you watch Game of Thrones? Were you a Game of Thronesman? I was not. No, I couldn't tolerate the nudity. (laughs) Yeah, neither could I. Just dragons flying around, hanging dong. In the air? (laughs) Yeah. The other dragons, giant dragon boobs hanging in the air. I know. (laughs) What is up with those horny dragons? This guy is apparently a big uh, character on on Game of Thrones. Mm. 
He's got a face for thrones. He really does. Yeah, he's got those uh, those those deep facial scars. Yeah, he's uh, really good at arm wrestling. He doesn't have to whisper. Careful. This seems like one of those moves in middle school where like you need an excuse to touch a person you have a crush on, and so you're <laughs> like, hey. Let's do trust falls or something <laughs> like, and they're like face to face here doing the arm wrestling thing. Yeah. Chris Hansen walks out the second the arm <laughs> wrestling match is over. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? Yeah. He's really made her a, a ring on his ring toss pole though. Mm. She's putty in his hand until he drops the the W bomb. Wow. He's got a wife. Yeah. I mean, what he can't possibly know is that Janeway is not used to losing both arm wrestling or a guy she's interested in to a wife. She's ready to blow up the ship at this point, Yeah, I think. Katie, you could get hurt. I'm stronger than I look. The wife comes in. She's got Janeway season one hair, and she's like, God Damn it! (laughs) My hair's too short to do that style now. (laughs) Francis, the wife, seems pretty cool about this, given the uh, the ring game playing and the arm wrestling they admit to doing. Yeah. By the fact that Chris Hansen is still sitting over at the bar, just like observing. You see Chris Hansen as the third to a hang with your special person and another person, that's not a good look, right? Yeah, you're like, Chris, who are you? Which of them are you here for? (laughs) No one has ever been this cool as Francis is about this scene. Yeah. But Janeway sees this as an opportunity to leave. Yeah. And she does. She heads to Six Bay where the EMH is doling out the radiation jabs. Janeway gets hers. Doesn't even wince when... uh, when the hypo goes in. Everyone there is really psyched about the Fairhaven program. There's a lot of discussion about like the possibility of an expansion pack. And I was thinking if you're Tom Paris, why wouldn't you do microtransactions so he can get some replicator credits? You know? <laughs> He's a guy that from time to time has run out. Ooh, now you're thinking of like an executive at Electronic Arts, Adam. You know it. Woo! (laughs) Topical video game joke. Over on the bridge. The entrance that Janeway makes here is incredible. (laughs) Because she has a real Adam shows up for a lobby call sense of timing. (laughs) Like, the wave is going to be on the ship in less than a minute, and Janeway has decided to arrive on the bridge less than a minute before the wave hits. Right. The cab is about to leave because it it can't, like, legally idle for more than 10 minutes or whatever. She would have missed this thing if there was a backup at the turbo lift, right? She would have. Do you think the captain has express, like, the fireman key for the turbo lift? Like, when she's in it, it goes where she wants to go first. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When I was... Little, my my dad had a friend who was like in a assisted living facility that he would go visit a bunch. And so I would like go with my dad a lot. And one of my great joys was he would always like give me a dollar and let me go down to the lobby to get something out of the vending machine while we were there. And an old man on the elevator showed me the trick of if you hold the button down for the floor you're going to, it will skip the other floors on this elevator. Because there's so many medical emergencies in an assisted living facility like this. 
I like abused the shit out of this. And then like years later realized like that was like actually really uncool because if EMTs need to get a person that's like coding out of the building and like a 10 year old is like using this feature to speed up his access to a a baby Ruth or whatever, (laughs) like I could have caused somebody's death. That is classic. Benjamin R. Harrison guilt. Right there. <laughs> That's guilt myth-making by you. You gotta let it go. Uh, I I prefer lying awake in bed at night worrying about that, personally. My mind went all sorts of places thinking about what possible things could be inside a vending machine at an assisted living facility. <laughs> and my mind directly went to, like, a vending machine full of lifesavers. <laughs> yeah. Like, hard candy. Fig Newtons and lifesavers. <laughs> So they get a pretty heavy-duty banger with the leading edge of this wave, but once it passes, it's calm. Mm -hmm. And they hope that the leading edge is going to be the worst of it. But then we just cut forward 10 hours in time, and we've got three more days of this storm that the Voyager is going to have to weather, but now it's just kind of downtime on the ship while they ride it out. Janeway's log tells us that uh, Fairhaven has gotten five-star reviews. It's not just the crew that loves it. She loves it too. And she's really hit it off with Michael, the bartender, even though Paris did not consult with her on the design of this man. Yeah. To that end, she goes into this kind of holodeck editorial room where it's got like, a small hollow grid and a bunch of computers. And she loads up the Michael Sullivan program and starts making some adjustments, adding a couple of inches here, tightening some things up there. Education, personality, hog size, no attachments to a wife or a family. Yeah. At one point she does say delete the wife and we cut to the inside of holodeck two where Chakotay falls right on his boner onto a rough-hewn floor. (laughs) Oh, that poor guy. (laughs) So sad. Ben, I sadly don't play enough hours of video games, but I feel like if you were going to like look at the pie graph of where I spend my time playing video games, the character construction part of those games is like 80% of the time spent (laughs) and then 20% is like the playing of the game before I eventually stop. Yeah. I'm uh, kind of the opposite, I would say. Yeah. (laughs) I just want to get through that part. Over in the mess hall, Tuvok is looking sick. Space sick. Yeah. He's really suffering. And this seems to be, for anyone watching, something related to the wave there inside. And Seven suggests that he goes and takes care of himself, but he won't. He says he's having gastrointestinal stress. Go, like, at least get out of a public place, Tuvok. If you're you're such a shame-oriented person, like, you can never talk about your... Better look strong in constitution around the crew. (laughs) It's what they expect. No one expects a farting Tuvok. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just saying, like, save yourself a little bit of shame. Like, you don't want to go through the anal equivalent of Pon Far in front of everyone, right? 
Does that uh, involve fingers? <laughs> it's the seven-year shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's 9.39 in the morning, <laughs> and you were able to conjure something really great. <laughs> You're a total pro, Ben. Oh, yeah. Well, I've been up all you night. You could do this anytime. I've been up all night thinking about these things. <laughs> <laughs> I love the scene where Paris and Kim are working on alts for the holodeck program. Yeah. And they pitch some ideas. What if it was gloomier? <laughs> like totally nauseating ideas. Like what if you had more ashtrays filled with beer and vomit? <laughs> <laughs> like really on the nose descriptions of things that are sick making. Yeah. What if there was like a way that you could trip and fall in the game and, and your mouth would like hit a pile of cat food and it would like go inside your mouth? Yeah. What if there were just more open sewers? <laughs> How bloody should the pudding be? <laughs> this is great. And Tuvok is going to puke, and I wanted to watch this so bad. Oh, yeah. I'm a real sick puppy. I wanted to watch Tuvok puke. He's gonna puke! He's gonna puke! He's gonna puke! Do you think, uh, like, if if people puke green, do Vulcans puke red? Oh, that's gnarly. I wouldn't <laughs> like that. No, it's bad. The how sick can we make Tuvok scene? A lot of fun. We cut back over to Fairhaven, where... Janeway has put on a bodice, all the better for the ripping. <laughs> She's touring around looking for Mr. Sullivan, who is not at the pub. One of the mods she's made is that he's a, a, a more lettered character. So he's down by the train station reading a bit of literature. Yeah, th this is really conspicuous reading in public, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, look at me. Look at what... <laughs> There was a kid in my college class who would always have a How to Make Friends and Influence People book that he would read before class started. Uh -huh. <laughs> it was a real, like, what are you trying to telegraph? Cool. <laughs> you know you could use a book cover on that. Yeah. <laughs> you could make that look like it's almost anything. Janeway has missed the train, but uh, Michael Sullivan is ready to run a train <laughs> on regular intervals. <laughs> If only she would sit on that bench with him. Mm-hmm, yeah. The chat, the banter, even more zesty than it was before, and now he's putting her on to poetry and, and literature. Yeah. He's, like, just starting to really put the moves on thick when Chakotay shows up. <laughs> and, uh, oh, man, <laughs> this was a tough scene. I love how Michael Sullivan and Chakotay observe each other in that, like, should I be threatened by you? Yeah. Like, they yeah. both have that feeling. It's great. It's such an alpha move to invite your primary romantic competition on the date you're about to go on. Amazing. <laughs> I love how Michael Sullivan tin mans the word tattoo in this scene also. That's a fine tattoo. Are you off a ship? You could say that. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, like complimenting your, you know, like, uh, oh, man, you got, you got real rock-hard abs on you, huh? Feel those calluses. Yeah. <laughs> those are the calluses of hands that make bathtubs, huh? Oh, you're really strong. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Change the angle of your elbow. Yeah, that's it. Make sure you don't press down. Yeah, you 
just got to work on the placement of your hips and you're going to be really good at this. <laughs> so Chakotay fucks off to the ox and the lamb, leaving Janeway and Michael Sullivan alone again. You two have fun. And we cut to later on the bridge. They're back at work, Chakotay and Janeway are. Janeway's getting briefed on how rough things are and how they're going to get over the next few days. And uh, Janeway's been reading on the bridge during yeah. her shifts. I don't think that's cool. <laughs> it's very funny. Like, Chicote picks up this this poetry book, and he has the energy of, like, I, I found your whack-off material, uh-huh. <laughs> you know? <laughs> He's very encouraging of it. He's not trying to stop her from having her fun. Chicote picks up Janeway's book and, like, Reads the title and he's like, who's Chuck Tingle? <laughs> Catching up on a little reading. <laughs> it's fun because like Chakotay won't say it, but he's got this all figured out. Yeah. Like there's a fun bit of light ball kicking yeah. at the captain here. I mean, we've all enjoyed a bit of bangers and mash, you know? I love that at the end of this conversation, Chakotay seems comfortable with admitting to Janeway and everyone else within earshot on the bridge that he has fucked a hollow person or hollow people. (laughs) And he is really okay with that. It's perfectly normal, perfectly healthy. He's into it, you know? Yeah. You want this kind of friend. I feel like he's so into it that he'd be into, like, doing it with her, you know? In the interest of Irish culture. Exactly. Exactly. As a team-building exercise. (laughs) I've got to get that platinum butcher platinum where your mouth is. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. 
That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. There are three things to remember about being a Starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in. Go down with the ship and do it. Do it. Do it. So we cut to the lower decks of the Titanic where Mm -hmm. the steerage people are doing jigs. Yeah. (laughs) Sullivan's Pub is like the place to hang on a Saturday night, right? It is off the hook. Sullivan's has everything. Iris jigs, vegetable broth on tap, (laughs) no leprechauns. No Farrakhan's leprechauns that look like Farrah Fawcett. It's the only Irish pub that, uh, that can needle drop pony. And yeah, <laughs> that still feel like the vibes are right. What do you think makes Janeway so free in this scene to assume her own privacy? Because she seems to be the only crew person in Sullivan's for this rager, right? Yeah, that surprised me too. I mean, they do talk about like they're using both holodecks for this. So maybe like Captain's holodeck is the one she went to. Yeah, I like that idea. I mean, um, there is one other member of the crew in here because when she asked the computer to remove all of the non-Sullivan characters, it cuts to out in the alley where Chakotay falls dick first into the cobblestones. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Then he turns to the camera and he goes, remember how I was talking about how I sometimes fuck holodeck characters? (laughs) Yeah, a a rare breaking of the fourth wall on this show. I never let that stand in my way. Yeah, it's fun. It really helps you understand Chakotay's angst. Yeah. They've waited long enough, Adam. Katie Eau Claire and Michael Sullivan. Yeah. Time to start smooching. We cut around the different areas of the bar to metaphorically depict what's happening here. (laughs) And there's like... Over on the tap of vegetable broth, there's like a slow leak that turns into like kind of a deluge. <laughs> and then like one of the ring pegs on the ring toss game, 
gets long like a Pinocchio nose. <laughs> it's, it's extra big. And yeah. Then, and then just a stack of rings falls on it. Yeah, a stack of saggy rings below that giant shaft. A banger falls into a plate of mash with a lot of gravy. <laughs> just a bowl of mashed potatoes that have been absolutely pulverized. <laughs> <laughs> Way overmashed. Mm-hmm. It's hot. It's hot and heavy. Yeah. Good job by Michael Sullivan asking to kiss her mm-hmm. and then kissing her mm-hmm. and then reaffirming her consent afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I got to believe part of the reason we cut away is because this consent request is constant. Yeah. I mean, the next question he asks her, you know, is a little too hot for TV, I think. <laughs> Might I overwhip your mashed potatoes? <laughs> <laughs> Presumably, she sort of got what she came for based on yeah. what happens in the next scene because we're in her quarters and it's very rueful. It's very contemplative. It's just this silent little moment where she takes her stack of, you know, artificially distressed Irish literature and puts it in the matter recycler and recycles it i'm trying to decide whether or not to go for a joke here but it's the morning like i'm just all up in my own head about it (laughs) well maybe we could workshop it what's the joke (laughs) it is to the tune of the cranberry zombie (laughs) (laughs) what's in your head in your That's quite a grip you have. I think that was worth going back for. All right. (laughs) Felt good. Neelix comes in and finds Janeway having her sad. I love that this might be Neelix putting the uh, hand on the other foot here after the staying after hours at the mess hall that Janeway did. Mm -hmm. Like, very late at night, Neelix is like, oh, you're still up. Oh. And this is your private time? Oh. Interesting. Hmm. (laughs) Hey, if you aren't sad enough already, the doctor's thinking about doing a rendition of Danny Boy down at the pub. (laughs) Yeah, that is not the attraction that he thinks it is, is it? She uh, declines to be cheered up and uh, declines to go to the rings tournament. But we cut to the rings tournament where Seven is absolutely stomping a mud hole in Seamus's ass. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Seamus. Yeah. He's really eating shit here. Yeah. He's uh, not doing well. Her hand-eye coordination... Far beyond his. Yeah. She's going to be kissing a lot of blonde girls with black skirts to feel better about this. The thing about this scene is that it pays off up the long ladder because the Borgs assimilated that culture. (laughs) And that's how how Seven's so good at this game. (laughs) We added the distinctiveness of the ring toss game to it. (laughs) <laughs> for a while it was very addictive on on borg's cubes yeah. like everyone played it turned out michael o'sullivan also a teetotaler he's uh yeah. very much the uh the sam of the sullivan's cheers bar he is isn't he 
Good call. He is over at the bum out table. And for some reason, this is a side quest that Tom and the EMH decide to play in this game, cheering up the the sad bartender. Yeah. So they go over and hit triangle to see what's up. And <laughs> he starts telling them about how, uh, yeah, like uh, I had this like magical night with Katie Eau Claire, and she ghosted me, man. Yeah. I don't know, even know where she is. I haven't seen her around at all. I think it's natural for Paris to be like insufficiently interested in a non-player character story here. <laughs> but what's fun is the consequence of this. Yeah. Because when he's not enough of a bro to Michael, Michael goes in for some fisticuffs. You don't think I'm good <laughs> enough for him? No, I, I didn't say that. And it lights off a massive bar fight. Yeah, like an Old West-style barroom brawl breaks out, and uh, safeties are off. Like, this sends a bunch of people to Six Bay with actual injuries. Do the safeties cover injury or just death? Oh, I don't know. I mean, how could the computer be sure what's going to kill you? I don't know. That's a great question. Could you get, like, a holodeck injury that leads to accidental death, and then it's like you got to sue the manufacturer of the holodeck for... Wrongful, yeah. whatever. Like if an NPC breaks a, a bar stool over your back, but when you fall, you hit your head on the corner of the bar. Right. Whose fault? <laughs> Whose fault is <laughs> who, that? Who bears the liability of that? Yeah. Hard to know. I know Starfleet's not picking up the tab. Certainly not. <laughs> They're all in six bay getting, you know, lights waved over them. And uh, the captain comes down. She's like, what gives? Like, I'm I'm bored as fuck. I'm not doing holodeck anymore. And the ship is still stuck in the mud. So, uh, like, what's, what's going on down here? It's fun how everyone in Six Bay knows the reason. Like, when everyone knows a thing that the captain doesn't. Yeah. That's a fun bit of tension, right? Why don't we take a little walk? And the tension also being that it's like a little bit suspicious that she is like this curious about what's going on in the in the holodeck, despite right, you know, having chosen to stop going. I mean, the last time Kim in Paris showed up injured like this, there was a mechanical butt slapping machine <laughs> involved on some space station. You know, <laughs> maravilloso. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. The EMH walks with Janeway down the hall and sort of gets into what his theory is about why she's so deep in her fifis. And this is kind of like uncommonly emotionally intelligent for the EMH. He is noticing that she had this kind of romantic dalliance and that it is a pretty unusual thing for her to permit herself a comfort like this. And he is concerned that she is too isolated and not taking care of the person Janeway because she's being Captain Janeway too much. He's observed that she has not walked with a limp like this for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And you can't just go cold turkey off of playing The Rings with Michael Sullivan, you know? Yeah. In prying, as uh, he says he doesn't want to do, he learns from her that she kind of got freaked because of how appealing it got. You know, she had this magical 
you know, lakeside hang. They they fucked beside a waterfall. Uh-huh. She's pregnant with a hollow baby. Yeah. You know, a lot is changing for her. It was a memorable three days. I made him eat pineapples <laughs> in a picnic by that waterfall. <laughs> he ate 14 pineapples that day. <laughs> We learned in the re-encounter at Farpoint that you have to eat pineapple for a long time before that takes effect. Yeah. But I made it so that it took effect immediately. (laughs) I went down to that laboratory and said, computer, alter the character of Michael Sullivan so that he's been having a serving of pineapple every day for the last 30 days. (laughs) I don't see the problem. Don't you? This moment, like the assumption is that Janeway's shame would come from fucking a hollow character. But something else creeps into this admission, right? Like, she's got real feelings for a hollow character, and she fucked him. Yeah. But also, like, third on this list is that she just couldn't stop tinkering with his perfection. Right. She met a man that was a little bit broken and decided to make a project of him, but we had the (laughs) awesome power of being able to actually move the sliders in the settings. You see, doctor, I've lived the dream. (laughs) I've flown too close to the sun. (laughs) A sun made of pineapple ropes. Yeah. The working title of this script was The Icarus Factor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The doctor defends her decision-making like this. Like, you gotta fuck somebody, and it sure as hell can't be anyone from the crew. Right. And we cut over to Chakotay, who is uh, on Fairhaven in that very same picnic (laughs) plot where Janeway and and Michael were. (laughs) He's doing, like, Native American tracker stuff, and there's, like, a wet spot on the ground, and he smells it and, like, takes a little taste of it on the tip of his tongue and goes pineapple and then he snaps a pencil (laughs) (laughs) the doctor's done the math too like there aren't enough aliens with compatible genitals around for them to go port to port to just to satisfy Janeway's needs and where does that leave her yeah because Janeway's feelings are real yeah even if the dude isn't there's coffee in that hologram if that's possible so there is a compelling case for continuing to get that bodice shredded I really like the subtext of this being the doctor's case that he's making too. Yeah. Because woven throughout his entire argument is like, you know, hollow people are pretty cool and they have a lot of advantages to being around. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they they kind of deserve personhood or whatever. Like, fucking a hollow isn't less than. In many ways, it's better than. And, and <laughs> hollows should have really rich and interesting sex lives also. (laughs) Yeah. At the end of the conversation, Janeway hops on a turbo lift and it really makes you wonder where she was headed. But we cut over to the bridge and that's where she's at. She's giving orders for the ship to keep riding out the bangers. Yeah, this is the trailing edge sequence. This is the last of the wave before the storm abates and, you know, the bangers are, are hitting them and it's like, Suddenly, this storm that hasn't really posed that much of a problem for the ship is going to tear them apart if they don't make some modifications to the deflector array. And it's one of those scenes where it's like, okay, I guess there were some stakes in this episode aside from like Janeway's personal life stuff. Easy to forget. Yeah. Yeah. 
I feel like this episode does sort of forget a lot of things. Like the Tuvok is allergic to the neutronic radiation storyline doesn't seem to go anywhere at all. I mean, that moment really clangs on the bridge too. Like the idea that this is a life-threatening moment and we need all the power from everywhere. And there's that big, thick highlight and underline of like even Fairhaven. (laughs) Please say it's not so. In order to survive this moment, we need to shut down a holodeck program. And this is an easy decision for Janeway to make. Do it. It seems like she's sort of already made the decision. Like, she put her books in the matter reclamation system. I think the show is trying to say something that it's really not able to, which is, like, the disposable quality of a holodeck and its program. Janeway could go into the holodeck presumably at any time and program anyone to be any type of person that she needs in that moment. The idea that Michael Sullivan is unique is sort of, like again, portrayed as a sort of minuet figure in a way that I don't think is earned, but it's also unspoken. So it makes you connote a value for him that maybe he doesn't have. Is the value just in the the property of being Janeway's first nut in six years? I mean, we know that not to be true because she had Leonardo da Vinci programmed up before. Yeah. A way to focus the mind. Anyway, they make the ultimate sacrifice. They mess up Fairhaven, and Tom and Harry are in there the next morning, I guess, like assessing the damage. Yeah. And Fairhaven got real fucked up. They're talking about like, oh, we could just like restart it or rebuild the program. And Tom is like, nah, it won't be the same. All the little details and nuances won't be there. It's interesting to see how the NPCs interact with their environment. Like, Seamus thinks that all the crackling and static around the program is a storm, but that's only because he's an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, Maggie O'Halloran isn't uh, as receptive to Harry's advances. It's all really sad. (laughs) We cut over to Chakotay, and he's in the middle of fucking a non-player character's crackly hole. (laughs) (laughs) Crackling hole, get on board. Chakotay's gonna fuck you. I don't have an ending to that song. I don't even know what song you're parodying. <laughs> Neil Diamond's Crackling Rosie. Maybe I'll go back and pick that up later. That's fun. Okay. Sounds great. Paris comes to the ready room and asks the captain if there's any particular part of the program she'd like him to save because they can only save a little bit. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. She goes down to that hollow lab and uh, starts the Michael O'Sullivan character and he remains like mad at her. Like she has not seen him since the lakeside hang. It's weird how she knows this because the part that Janeway has decided to save is like Below the neck and above the knee. It's just a floating torso. Activate him. And it's thrusting mechanically. With a raging charger. (laughs) It's subtle. I can tell you're mad at me. He's really salty about this. And he was like, he was thinking marriage. He's like talking about settling down. And uh, he's lucky she doesn't laugh in his face. Although I guess he doesn't have a face. He just has the the torso part. Star Trek does a great job of like 
ending the drama of falling for a holodeck character before the end of the episode. But like, what if they decided to continue on through? Like, what if Janeway did marry a hollow program? <laughs> I mean, she'd become a much fiercer advocate for hollow rights than she ever has with the doctor. I presume she'd probably be less liable to blow up the ship. Anytime she doesn't get her way. That, that would not be bad. I could blow up my husband at any time. (laughs) (laughs) So this does sort of seem like she's here to say goodbye, but then instead she saves the character and locks herself out of tinkering with the controls of the character. I like this. Not changing the difficulty level on the game you're playing mid-game. Yeah, nice ending. But did you like this episode? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. Weird episode. Like, period Star Trek is such a specific kind of Star Trek, you know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so often it can ring as cheesy. And boy, I mean, Star Trek has a difficult past with depictions of the Irish. Sure. (laughs) But they, they don't manage to fumble the ring here on this one. It's a pleasant depiction of a place and its people, even if it's uh, fanciful or whatever. Yeah, it doesn't quite rise to the level of seeming discomforting. (laughs) Yeah. I like getting more into Janeway's inner life and her struggle and her solitude as captain. So often we've experienced Janeway as like a frustrated leader who sacrifices, like just the main sacrificial figure of the crew, right? willing to work all hours, willing to uh, give away her opportunities for fun at every turn. And it is sad that, you know, in a rare time where she chooses fun for herself, it goes so poorly, but it was interesting to see her grapple with those matters. And it's hard having Tom Mervins and all those dogs so far away. What's a captain to do? Yeah. Really uh, ask some interesting questions without really completely answering them. What about you, Ben? I think that I feel pretty similarly. Like, I think that this episode is really strong in terms of being a character study of what is painful about being Captain Janeway and really honoring what a struggle it must have been the last five and a half years of her life to have all of this responsibility and so few outlets for just like basic human needs Mm -hmm. in her life. And the challenges of that seem like something that they've maybe like not spent enough time on throughout the the series. Yeah. But yeah, like I'd say like the episode overall felt a little like silly and claptrap. Like I think that they did do a good job of getting to some of those deep emotional truths for the Janeway character. And I think that Kate Mulgrew is so good at, you know, making that stuff feel super real and super lived in. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's also just like silly and dumb <laughs> the rest of the time. Yeah. That's so, fair. Very mixed feelings about this, but uh, I never have mixed feelings about the priority one inbox, Adam. No, never silly are the P1s. Never. Let's get in there and see what's waiting for us. 
Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Then our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. The message goes like this. Do you need a buggy board game web app for your podcast? Would you like that built by an FOD who named his company after a weird AI movie? <laughs> How about an FOD who is spending $200 on a legitimate business expense not just as a way to support his favorite podcast. <laughs> I don't know how many of us there are out there, but you can put me on your short list. The call to action here is to visit uhf62.co.uk for more information on what Craig Anderson is promoting here. Craig Anderson, the programmer of the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker. And uh, an FOG that we've met over video. That's right. After one of our live shows that we did as a stream. A great dude and uh, really responsive and easy to work with from our perspective. So if you're a paying customer, I bet he's even better. (laughs) Yeah. We love our buggy board game. Yeah. Craig Anderson. Yeah. Our board game rules. Baby Billy's buggy board game. You bet your ass. I think we just witnessed a mission from God. Is that what that was? Yeah, and uh, he did not program anything in to make it so that Adam rolls ones all the time. Not at all. (laughs) I don't suspect a thing, Craig. (laughs) Thanks a lot for uh, making the show so fun, and definitely visit uhf62.co.uk. Yeah, I love the idea that Friends of DeSoto are like getting to work together and, and, and collaborating on cool projects now. Agreed. Well, Adam, our... Next priority one message is from Captain Benjamin Sisko, and it is to personal log stardate 51721.3, and it goes like this. At 0800 hours, the Romulan Empire formally declared war against the Dominion. They have already struck 15 bases along the Cardassian border. So this is a huge victory for the good guys. This may even be a turning point in the entire war. So I lied. I cheated. I bribed men to cover the crimes of other men. I am an accessory to murder. Eat your heart out, Avery Brooks. <laughs> yeah. I really uh, I really showed him how to read those lines. <laughs> ben, our second priority one message is a continuation of this log, and it goes like this. But the most damning thing of all, I think I can live with it. And if I had to do it all over again, I would. Garrick was right about one thing. A guilty conscience is a small price to pay for the safety of the Alpha Quadrant. So I will learn to live with it. Because I can live with it. I can live with it. Computer, erase that entire Priority One message. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Too late. It's already uh, recorded on tape. Yeah, done and done. Wow. Nice memory of an incredible moment. Yeah. On Deep Space Nine. That really, like, I mean, that's like as good as the Shaw monologue in Jaws, right? It is. Yeah. Massive. Yeah. Super good. What is Janeway's moment like that? Has that happened yet? Man. I feel like Janeway's had so many great moments. Yeah. How could I pick just one? Have we already watched, do you think, the greatest episode of Star Trek Voyager? (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm asking big questions. We don't have answers to at 10, 15 in the morning. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't remember anything. I can't even remember what this episode was about, Adam. All right. Well, I can remember that the website people go to to get priority one messages is maximumfun.org slash jumbotron. That's right. Is that anything? That is a thing. That's a thing we need to say at the end of the P1s because it is a simple and direct way to support the greatest generation and greatest trek, and we really appreciate it. We do. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I did. I'm going to give it to Janeway this episode for the casual wander into Six Bay that she does after the bar fight. Like, clearly wanting the tea on what Selvin is up to. Yeah. You know, not doing a great job of uh, hiding what she's actually there for. <laughs> it made me laugh. I thought it was a funny scene. Yeah, I like that there's a scene before this where she's really considering whether or not to go in, you yeah, know? Yeah. There's an inner life here. Like, we see a bit of her inner life this episode, but there is so much more inner life happening off screen. Right. How about you? Did you have a drunk Shimoda? I think it could be no one besides Janeway for the choices she makes this episode. Yeah. Little bit chaotic. Like, chaotic with intent, you know? <laughs> yeah. More like KTO chaos. I mean, who wouldn't want to make a hollow person that just shoots pineapple ropes anytime you want them? Sounds great. That's what she says. He's like an always functional soft serve machine. <laughs> <laughs> Dropping Dole Whip wherever he goes. <laughs> Little chunk of the Disney parks right here aboard the starship that we live on. Yeah. Delicious. Wow. Well, uh, let me tell you about the next episode while you head to gach.biz slash game, Adam. Next episode is episode 12 of season six, Blink of an Eye. Voyager becomes the unwitting focus of a planet's entire civilization. Oh, really? They really do. That seems to be uh, like a pre-warp civilization, you think? Is mm -hmm. that the unspoken part? Kind of seems like a simple-minded kind of way to be yeah. if you're going to center Voyager in your in your worldview. But can you call a planet that doesn't even have warp drive civilized, really? No, you really can't. Yeah. Not having warp drive is so uncivilized. Fuck that shit. Ben, our runabout has warp drive. Currently rests on square 61 of the Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Caretaker. Programmed by Craig Anderson. Yeah. One square ahead is a space butthole. Three squares ahead. Starship Mine, where we build a spaceship model while recording. What would be certainly a bad episode of <laughs> our podcast. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. It can't be any worse than one that we have to record at 9 a.m. on a Saturday. I'm going to roll the die. Ben, you wouldn't believe it, but I rolled a two. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Whoa. <laughs> and instead of being on square 63, we are six squares ahead on square 67. Uh-oh. Greg. <laughs> We're riding the bug. Greg, what happened here? <laughs> the bug has taken us to square 67, even though I rolled a two. 
Uh, my bets should be voided here, but instead it will be a regular old episode for us. Yeah. Just to be clear, we have not paid Craig Anderson a dime, and, no. and and he has refused all offers of payment here. So this isn't something that he did for an actual client. <laughs> no, his work is good. We know that, and I think maybe the game is kind of crumbling as we get to the end of Star Trek Voyager, right? Like maybe <laughs> I say we ride this out. Like yeah. whatever the game wants us to do, we'll just do it. I like the chaos. Yeah. Yeah. The game is in charge now. <laughs> well, Adam, we got a lot of people to thank. Let's thank Wendy Pretty, our producer. Keeps the lights on around here, keeps the, the show running, keeps episodes coming out on time. Really wouldn't be possible without Wendy. Hope FODs get to meet Wendy at Star Trek Las Vegas this weekend. Oh, yeah, is she coming? At this point, she has not confirmed. I'm just uh, <laughs> going to leave that in to be edited out if it's not true. <laughs> Hey, Wendy, if you don't want to, if it doesn't seem fun, don't you don't have to. Absolutely. Like, company policy is if it doesn't seem fun, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> that rule doesn't apply to the show itself. Yeah, that's why our company is <laughs> not in great shape financially. <laughs> yeah. Got to thank all the FODs for making the show possible and a trip to Star Trek Las Vegas possible for coverage. You can support the show financially at MaximumFun.org slash join you can also support the show by uh getting a fun swimsuit for star trek las vegas over at podshop.biz get some trunks trunks whatever the pranica cabanica absolutely uh we're going out on tour later in the year find all our tour stops at greatestgentour.com come and see us come and see us we are looking at a lot of shows that are selling quickly so you know just be careful it's always a surprise to see how fast these shows sell Really grateful and delighted at how much appetite there is for what we do out there. Thanks to Bill Tilly, the card daddy, running the greatest Trek social media accounts, overseeing them. Yeah. And our thanks to Adam Ragusea, who made our original theme music. Our good buddy over there at the Adam Ragusea podcast and the Adam Ragusea show. That's right. With that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode. Star Trek Voyager, an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager, where like an entire planet makes like a quasi-religion out of listening to our podcast, and we're like kind of weirded out by it and like not that into it. I'm pretty sure this isn't a cult, right? Mm. Our show? Uh, hey, don't say the quiet part out loud, Adam. Oh, fuck. <laughs> it's not a cult. Everybody gives. Make it show. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.